Well, first off, it's balderdash to say this is Putin's, uh, you know, <laughs> gas increase. I mean, gas was up a dollar and a half during the Biden administration before Putin invaded Ukraine. I mean, the reality is it's a supply and demand problem that predates any of this invasion. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Why Milling Podcast Network from Milbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. Whymilbank.com is the website for the studio here in Milbank. The interviewpodcast.org is the website for the podcast here if you want to help support the show. We are funded by the value for value model, which is we provide content and put it out there for no cost to you. You just get to enjoy. If you get value out of it, you decide what that value looks like, you turn that into dollars and send it back our way. You can do that at theinterviewpodcast.org. Click on the Donate Today button. You choose the value. Everything is welcomed and appreciated. We thank all of our supporters for helping us keep going. Today on the show, one of our most returned, <laughs> returning guests on the interview so far, Congressman Dusty Johnson, our lone representative in the U.S. House of Representatives for South Dakota, uh, is back with us for another brief chat. Uh, I appreciate Dusty coming on and being willing to answer the hard questions. Today I threw a bunch at him, so uh, I appreciate that. Uh, he is being uh, in a primary challenge that is June 7, which is one week from today, this being May 31st, 2022. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope it helps inform your voting decision if you do live in South Dakota. Otherwise, it's just a good insight into how Congress thinks about the world. Thanks a lot. Enjoy. Um, how are things going with the current campaign since you are up for election this fall? Um, how's it going? You're having a primary challenge. Give us a little rundown. Well, and I first off, I would tell you the last two weeks of almost every campaign are kind of miserable. I mean, I think for the candidates <laughs> and the voters, yeah. it's not illegal to lie in campaigns. And so I think we see, unfortunately, a lot of that. And we've certainly seen that in this campaign. Uh, it makes it hard for my wife to go to the mailbox every day when we know there's just going to be a lot of junk. I mean, it comes from out of staters, right? I mean, I think that's really the hard part in a country where we want to balance uh, you know, want to make sure we take care of freedom. We've got a First Amendment that uh, really protects speech and, and frankly, protects political speech more than any other kind. And that means that we've got a lot of out-of-staters who pour a lot of money, about a half million dollars in my race alone, and the really negative kind of non-South Dakota sounding messages. But, but hey, listen, that's all right. At some point, voters are going to decide. I'd, I'd take South Dakota voters that are over uh, out-of-state PACs any day. Uh, all right. So jumping into the, the uh, federal national picture, um, let's get right to war a little bit. Should the U.S. be arming Ukraine against Russia? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we should not be having, uh, you know, men and women in uniform die in Ukrainian battlefields. But I mean, Vladimir Putin is evil. How, he, he's how, a thug. Go ahead. How does us arming Ukraine not constitute us eh, kind of being in a proxy war with Russia? Well, I, number one, I think uh, we want to be real careful when we start using words like, you know, war. Uh, I mean, clearly people are going to help allies uh, when they're when they're tough. I mean, the, the most recent aid package gave food to Ukraine. It gave them money to pay their hospital staff. I mean, if Russia wants to constitute that as an act of war, then 
you know, that's what they're going to do. But the reality is that weakness invites aggression. We do not want to live in a world where the bullies feel like they can just roll tanks into any country they want to control. And at some point, if we're not going to help uh, righteous people against evil, what does America stand for? How, how much of that can we do, though, in reality? Well, we can do a lot. I mean, frankly, the, the history of the last 100 years on this globe has been the history of American exceptionalism. It's been the history of America helping freedom-loving people push back against tyrants and evildoers. I mean, the Cold War for 50 years was exactly America doing this kind of thing. Uh, the history of the early World War II was America providing this kind of support to England so that England could hold the line against Nazi Germany. And there were all kinds of Americans on September 1st, 1939, when Hitler rolled into Poland, exactly like Putin rolled into Ukraine, who were trying to call for America to, uh, you know, be neutral. I mean, let's stay out of this. I mean, the Polish government isn't perfect anyway. And the reality is we know that those voices um, were not wise. They were not righteous. They did not make uh, our globe safer. And we don't want to be saber rattlers. We do not want to get into a shooting war with Russia. But uh, I mean, at some point, America's got to stand for what's right. And we have. The anti-war crowd, we'll call them, um, equates what Putin has done in Ukraine to what America did in Iraq. Is that fair? Well, I think we know a lot more now uh, about, uh, frankly, the pretty uh, thin basis for our invasion of Iraq. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't just us. It was, you know, a dozen different countries had intelligence that uh, Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. Now, Hussein deserves a lot of blame for this. He wanted the world to think he had uh, weapons of mass destruction. He thought it would act as a deterrent. It would, he thought it would increase his power. He thought it would make him seem like a tough guy. And so, you know, lo and behold, you know, he told enough people enough times he had weapons of mass destruction and the intelligence community, not just in our country, but in others started to believe it. And uh, the reality is that uh, he did not. Uh, or we don't have strong evidentiary basis now to say that he did. I think it's a totally different situation. I mean, Saddam Hussein was threatening America. Saddam Hussein had absolutely been uh, harboring uh, terrorists and criminals, and he absolutely was telling people he had weapons of mass destruction, and he had a history of uh, invading uh, countries, Right. I mean, that was the whole that was the desert storm, you know, uh, years previous mm -hmm. had been about him with an illegal and unprovoked invasion. I mean, I don't know, Craig, I don't see any of those factors evident in Ukraine. They're not telling people they have weapons of mass destruction. They haven't invaded anybody in the last 20 years. Uh, I just think it's a very uh, different situation. OK, that's that's fair. Um, if it's true, I, I listened to the the talking points coming out of the White House and um, the people in power in Congress, namely in, in your house, Pelosi, uh, I heard her the other day say that what we're seeing at the gas pump is Putin's, Putin's tax hike at the gas pump. Uh, is that true? And uh, if Russia sees that what they're doing in Ukraine is having a direct negative impact against the American people, why would they stop? Well... 
first off, it's balderdash to say this is Putin's, uh, you know, <laughs> gas increase. I mean, gas was up a dollar and a half during the Biden administration before Putin invaded Ukraine. I mean, the reality is it's a supply and demand problem that predates any of this invasion, for sure. And as far as why would Russia stop, I mean, I, I guess I'm not sure what you mean. I mean, he is, you know, to the extent that gas is a little higher, again, I think the size of the increase pales in comparison to the size of the increase we saw before the invasion. But the extent that the invasion is uh, costing Europe and Americans a little more at the pump, uh, it's costing Russians a lot more. A lot more. Right. But, but if, I mean, if, if the, it, the Russian yeah. stock market has collapsed, the ruble has lost its value. Russia, I mean, 95% of Russians are less food secure than they were a few months ago. Well, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the world is as well. So I guess my thought, and I asked Brian Bangs this running for um, Senate here in South Dakota the other day, how much collateral damage to the American public is acceptable for us to continue to go? Because, you know, to, to, in, in someone's terms, stick it to Putin. Um, you know, we're getting them. You know, yeah, be okay. Pay higher gas. It's harder to find your food. You're not going to be able to get as much, you know, baby formula. But we're getting Russia. So be happy no, about Craig, it. Craig, you're looking at this totally wrong. The problems that we're experiencing that you're talking about are Vladimir Putin's fault. It's not our intervention. It's not our assistance to the Ukrainians that caused Russia and Ukraine and one third of the wheat grown in the world to be called into question. It's the invasion that did that. But it's we, the invasion but, but that did that. So aren't what, we, you're, what you're saying is, hey, Putin's invasion made the world less food secure. I'd say, yes, absolutely right. And us lying down and letting that kind of oppression continue unabated is only going to make the world even more food insecure in the future. I, I, I'm just from the outside. I've got no internal intel. Just looking at all the options, it seems as though, you know, from the I've listened to Jen Psaki when she was the White House spokesperson for months, and all everything came out as this is all Putin's fault. We are getting price jacked up on everything because Vladimir Putin is the bad guy. So it, it, well, it sh should we like, is it, is it exacerbated because we are supporting Ukraine and, and putting Ukraine up as this, as a hero nation. And I say these things because how I've been listening to the people talk. So we sure. prop them up and Russia gets madder and starts, you know, poking them harder. Does that have a direct impact on us because of our intervention to help Ukraine? Well, I think there are three different issues at play here. I mean, number one are terrible domestic policies that have been pushed by this administration. And that has affected us at the pump. That has uh, had a substantial increase on inflation. You don't need to take my word for it. It seems like the consensus of most economists is that inflation is three points worse in this country than otherwise would be, would have been because we have spent twice as much on COVID per capita as Europe did. I mean, that's right. how, uh, I mean, and I voted against, you know, all of these trillion dollar yeah. spending packages in the Biden administration. So yes, I mean, clearly uh, our, our domestic inflationary problems are not Vladimir Putin's fault, uh, anywhere near as much as the fault of bad policies. So would that, would that be fair then, would that be fair then to say that we're being fed a line from the administration currently? about that like they're, they're shifting blame inappropriately 
Yes. When it comes to America's domestic problems, mm-hmm. yes. Um, but but when we talk about global food insecurity, I mean, that's not Joe Biden's fault. I mean, the American farmer is doing more. The American rancher is doing more than they ever have. And they're doing it with less. The efficiency gains have been remarkable. So why are you know, why are uh, across the globe are people concerned about food security? And 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 Putin owns more of that than America does. But, but America's but, growing more. Yeah. Putin is putting Russia and Ukraine in a situation where they're growing yet mm-hmm. less. And, and I would just mention this. I don't know how us letting him conquer countries is going to increase global food security. <laughs> yeah. India, 30% of the wheat market comes out of India. What are they, the third top producer, I think? Second or third? Uh, they have decided to keep theirs in-house. That's a problem. Is that because of Russia? Well, I, I mean, I guess I don't know how much we, I mean, they've also got 1.5 billion people. Oh, without doubt, yeah. I mean, yeah. I... Are you saying that India grows substantially more wheat than they consume domestically? Uh, well, they, they've they've exported for a long time, and they just recently, in the last month, I think, have chosen to stop exporting. And they are, I, I think, the second or third largest wheat producer in the world. Yeah. And so, so, so I, I, I guess I don't know what that really means, other than that's not Russia. So, what's causing that decision? Also, it it is Russia. It's absolutely Russia. It's India looking at, they know that they can't count on Russia or Ukraine to provide them wheat. Hmm. I mean, what, what would be the other prompt for that? I mean, the, I you don't know, know. Before, before Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine, yeah. people could buy Russian Ukrainian wheat. Now they're having a harder time doing it. That is Putin's fault. Do we have the $40 yeah. billion dollars that were in the, in the Ukraine aid bill? Or is that all borrowed sure. debt now? Yeah. Is it more increase in debt? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to the extent that we're uh, ever spending more money than we're bringing in, that's how it's financed. Yeah, it's terrible. Overall, the spending in D.C. is terrible. (laughs) Right. Term limits. What are your thoughts on them? Yeah, I don't have any particular problem with term limits. I do think imposing them would would have a positive impact on the psychology of D.C., you know, to, to share the wisdom from the, the other side of the issue as well, it wouldn't have as big an impact as some people hope it would. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought before I went to D.C. that people just went there for 30 or 40 years. They lived in the house forever. The reality is there are only two members that have been there for 40 years. Mm-hmm. There are only 10 more who've been there for 30 years. There's a lot of turnover in the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, the voters make sure of that. And in fact, the median length of tenure of members of the house right now is seven years. Okay, so I wouldn't want us to think that term limits are a silver bullet. And if we make the number too small, I mean, listen, the bureaucracy doesn't have term limits. Mm -hmm. Lobbyists don't have term limits. Should they? And uh, what's that? Should they? Um, I want to think about that a little bit. I mean, I'm a big lover of freedom. Mm -hmm. And so when the government comes in and tells, you know, uh, the nurses association that they're not allowed to hire a person they want to do a job advocating on behalf of nurses. I would just really want to think about whether or not stripping their freedom and that employee's freedom is worth the benefit. 
Because, I mean, it's true that the longer you're in there, the more entrenched you become and the more money you gather in what they call the war chest. And so you actually get, you have some more, more sway because of the dollars, because unfortunately, that's how you get your message out. Um, should there be some well, caps on some on. of this stuff? Craig, what, what, Craig, what's your evidence for that? And here's why I ask. I mean, it might be true, right? I haven't done a thorough analysis of this, but, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene's been in for a little over a year. Hal Rogers is the longest serving Republican in the House. Do either you or I have any data that that Hal Rogers is a bigger problem for American security than Marjorie Taylor Greene or AOC are? It, it, is it not easier to get reelected when you have cash? Yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene outraised Hal Rogers in each quarter of the last six. Okay. One more, one more political question, then I have something yeah. else. Um, yeah. So you, is this your, th this will be your third term, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. right. And you have been awesome to me coming on every cycle, and it's been great, and I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> as you go forward, why are you the best choice in the primary coming forward? And um, how, what, what are you doing to try to keep yourself from becoming part of the machine? So you still have an outside voice. You have fresh eyeballs that are not, um, not tainted by the, the, the beatdown of the system. Yeah. Well, I mean, first off, I, I mean, I've made promises and I kept them. I mean, I, I really only made two big commitments to South Dakotans when I ran four years ago, Craig, and it was I was going to be a conservative voice for South Dakota and I'd be effective. You know, and I think by most any measure, I'm one of the uh, more conservative members of the U.S. House. But I'm not somebody who howls at the moon, right? I mean, there are a lot of conservative members who just scream <laughs> and yell and they, you know, get on the cable news and they yell and, and they like the political celebrity. Yeah. So I think the, the more important part of that equation is the second part, which is I've been affected. I mean, I, I have played a key role in getting 15 bills passed or otherwise implemented. And I think that's uh, a, you frankly couldn't have a bigger contrast between my opponent and me. You know, in the last three years, she's been the prime sponsor of, um, you know, 15 or 17 pieces of legislation. In peer, she hasn't passed a single one. Hmm. She didn't pass one last year or the year before that or the year before that. And I just think South Dakota deserves somebody who can get stuff done. And as far as how, how do I remain connected to South Dakota? I mean, I'm here every week. I mean, you know, my wife's a South Dakota business owner. Uh, my kids go to South Dakota schools here in Mitchell. Uh, I mean, I'm home every weekend. Uh, I don't, um, I think it would be pretty hard to go DC when I'm buying my groceries at the County Fair food store in Mitchell, South Dakota. Yeah. What's well, one thing South Dakota doesn't know about you already? Oh, you know, I, I think I have a reputation for uh, hard work. And so I don't think it's like it's a big secret. I, I don't think most people realize the kind of strain that uh, the, the job puts, the sort of time demands. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you're in D.C., people say, oh, you need to be back home. I mean, kind of like you just, you know, you're going D.C. swamp, kind of the, the question you just asked. Well, when I'm at home, people say, you know, come on, you need to be about in D.C. solving these problems. Yeah. And there's sort of a, a sense that 
whether I'm in D.C. or whether I'm in South Dakota, and this is true for all politicians, that they're not really working. I mean, listen, the days are 15 hour days, regardless where you're at. Mm-hmm. There are bills that have to get read. There are ideas that have to be explored. There are coalitions that have to be built. I mean, none of that changes based on what time zone I'm in. Yeah. So I think people have a sense that I work hard, but uh, but it's a it, it's a job that to do it right it demands a lot. And listen, it's a great honor. I love doing it, and I think I'm good at it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, at the end of these crazy days, how do you unwind? What's the thing that you do that kind of frees your mind? Oh, I'm in time with family. I mean, I've got three boys and uh, spending time with them really, really makes a difference. You know, it doesn't need to be a lot. I mean, clearly I'm not, I I have not, I'm not in a job where I could be with them every single day, Mm -hmm. but, you know, sitting out around a campfire, uh, just being with one another, that's amazing how quickly that can refill the bucket. Yeah. Where can people find the best information about you uh, and where you're at, what you're doing, what you stand for? Well, I do uh, probably our house website, um, but also our house campaign accounts on the official side. There's just a lot of information out there about what's going on with our government. Mm -hmm. You know, on the campaign side, um, you know, probably our Facebook account. But, uh, you know, give us a follow on the official side. It's at Rep. Dusty Johnson on really any of the social media accounts. And we love interacting with people and hearing their ideas. And I work hard, but I'm wrong. You know, every day I'm wrong on something. (laughs) And so it's it's helpful to have the feedback so we can understand. So we can understand. Well, thank you very much for your time. You got to go. Representative Dusty Johnson. uh, Good luck on the 7th in the primary. Hey, Craig, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. You just have, you ask uh, insightful questions and I love the back and forth and you're just a great community resource. Hopefully Millbank understands that. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep. You bet. Take care. Bye. Thank you again, Congressman Dusty Johnson. Uh, the official websites you can find him on. Uh, also, facebook.com slash rep Dusty Johnson uh, and rep Dusty Johnson across all the social medias to find more about Congressman Dusty Johnson as he is in a primary challenge for the Republican ticket to go back to Washington to represent South Dakota in the House of Representatives. Uh, Thanks, Dusty, for taking the time to come back and chat with us. Hawaiimillbank.com is the website for the studio, theinterviewpodcast.org. If you want to help support the show, find the donate button. You choose the value. Everything is appreciated. Thank you so much. We'll be back again with more in our political series. We also have a few non-political interviews in the works. So uh, stay tuned, subscribe, tell your friends about it, and we will see you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.